Hello, hello, and welcome to FSU Conversation, where we highlight FSU's School of Communication, its students, alumni, and happenings in the industry. We're your hosts, Dani Palacios and Andy Mastenduno. My name is Dani Palacios, and I am a senior studying media communication studies with a minor in business. And I'm Andy Mastenduno, a senior currently working towards a public relations degree, and we're both directors ambassadors for the School of Communication. On this episode of FSU Conversation, we are discussing meeting the moment with Dr. Chanta Haywood. Good morning. Um, thank you so much, Dr. Haywood, for joining us today. Uh, how are you doing on this fine Friday? I am doing well. I could be doing better if yeah. I were by a lake somewhere or a beach. That sounds nice. Well, good thing that it's the weekend because then yeah. you take a little trip, don't have to worry about teaching or anything like that. That's one of the beauty, uh, beautiful things about living in Tallahassee, you know, our proximity to um, to water. Yes, for sure. So for our listeners who might not know you, could you please take a moment to introduce yourself for us? Well, sure. I always refer to myself as a country girl who has been to town. That's in my bio on all of the <laughs> social media. I'm a country girl who's been to town. And I say that because I left Camilla, Georgia, my hometown, and at the age of 18. And I have lived and worked and played all over the world. But it's those Southern Christian social activism roots in that small town that really have been foundational to how I've managed to navigate life. And especially as a professor and as a scholar and as a university administrator, but most importantly, as a wife and as a daughter and as the mother of three young adults now. So in a nutshell, that that's who I am. Beautiful. So Professor Haywood, we have here that you've given hundreds of speeches and recently you've given speeches at Yale and other venues like that. And most of the population, at least in America, is definitely a bit afraid of public speaking, at least wary of it. And I'm sure you have plenty of students that feel that way. Are you also afraid of speaking in front of crowds? Is that something that you share? I am like most Americans in the sense that I do experience a little bit of anxiety right before I speak. But um, what I think differentiates me and, and has kind of made me get used to it is uh, that same upbringing that I was telling you all about. When you grow up in a home where your mother is um, socially and politically involved and, and right. active, she was the first woman and first black mayor of our hometown to give oh. you a sense of how I grew up around someone always speaking. And then you couple that with the fact that your daddy is a minister. Oh my goodness. So and we were required all the time to talk. And, and I didn't realize then that it was my introduction to public speaking. It was mm. normal for us. And so I think in that regard, I um, got some experience, but it never kept me from being a little timid at the mm -hmm. very beginning of my speeches. So, um, but I've gotten so used to it. And as a professor, that's all we do. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I bet. This kind of 
piggybacks a little bit off of what we were just saying, but what have you found that you've learned as you've developed your public speaking, like kind of the qualities that you've found have really helped you to steer away from that nervousness? You know what? That's a very good question. What I have done is I have found that in order to kind of like just knock the, uh, the anxiety out is at the very beginning, find some kind of way to get the audience to engage with me. It could be a joke. It could be uh, acknowledging a little bit that I'm nervous or reminding them a, a story or something that we may have in common that gets us all on the same page. And then from that point, I can handle giving the speech a little bit better because one of the things I've learned with audiences is that most of them are, almost all of them are rooting for you. They want you to give a good speech. Mm. They want you to deliver it um, to them, you know, uninhibited, you know, by anxiety or fear. And so the best way that I have learned to get rid of the, the anxiety at the very beginning is to connect, find something to connect me immediately with, with the audience. And it's usually a little joke, or for example, if someone is giving it, who's introducing me and saying some really great things, I'm like, oh gosh, let me go and find that person about whom they're speaking, mm -hmm. you know, something like that. And um, in order to connect right away with the audience. And once I do, I feel better. Yeah. Well, I, I do want to point out that I am in your principles of speech writing class right now. And that is a very big thing that you've, I think, kind of drilled into all of our brains of trying to use those like elements in speech to find a way to really connect with your audiences. And it's really great to hear, obviously, that you execute that in your own when you get to public speak and stuff like that. And you all are going to be able to do it as well um that, that that's a very smart group yeah um, in that class so y'all yeah. like we had said you have performed many speeches before interviewing before you're a professor you went to grad school um could you tell us about an important moment in your career and why it was important to you personally i'll have to say one of the most important moments in my career was when I published my first book. Ooh, tell us about this. Yeah, it was a book on, it's called Prophesying Daughters, Black Women Preachers and the Word, 1823 to 1913. And it is about Black women who are preaching during and after slavery mm. and who wrote their autobiography and the historical significance of their autobiographical text. And it was my doctoral research dissertation. You know, it was the most important moment, I think, in my career because as a professor, you know, you all see us teaching, right? Mm. But another major aspect of our lives, you know, is to become experts and scholars in a subject matter and to produce knowledge that could contribute to our fields and to our disciplines. And 
In order to do that, we produce articles and we write books. And we do that because one, there are also university requirements that say that in order to be a tenured professor or to have long-term employment with the university, you have to be promoting mm. something. And so for my book to have come out um, when it did from a major university press, um, and then it's gotten significant traction around the world, and it's still being used 20 years later when Coursera and my schools, such as those students at Yale who invited me to come. So you mentioned I had recently spoken there. It was at their invitation to come and talk about me. Mm. So, so it's one of the most foundational. It's one of my, it's important. <laughs> it's really important. And you will learn from your professors in the classrooms that they we love teaching. But we also become good teachers because we are out there producing knowledge and articles and books and going to conferences. And, and when you can produce a book that people are still using 20 years later, it's, it's so important. Absolutely. I mean, it's got to feel so rewarding as well. To, to see that other people are also reading into like the historics of, of such an important topic. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's very rewarding um it's like a fourth child <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it really is but it, it had a long gestational period though it took five years to produce it oh my gosh endless uh, research I bet a lot of research uh a lot of research that's one of the reasons why in the classes in my classes I emphasize and and push the importance of research and data to kind of validate your thoughts and your ideas. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but definitely a lot of research. The fruits bear the rewards. That's definitely a full circle moment. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. So you may not have thought initially that you were gonna be a part of something like the School of Communication at FSU. Is that something that you stumbled upon or how did it happen? No, well, not necessarily stumbled upon. So what, how, how it came about, though, is that, so I, I was a professor here at Florida State years ago, fresh out of my PhD program at the University of California at San Diego. I was like 26 or 27 years old, and that was in like 1996. Wow. Where were y'all in 96? <laughs> <laughs> Conceived yet. <laughs> right, your parents were very young probably um, back then. So, but I left Florida State then, and I went on um, a career path to become a university president. And so I, and so I went, and I was in administration as a dean um, at you know at several universities, a graduate dean, and then uh, an associate provost, and, and then ultimately a university vice president at two schools. And I was on my way, uh, but life happens. And I needed to get what I what some some call some scholars call on the off ramp of that trip toward mm -hmm. that presidency. So I got on the off ramp and to take care of family, mm -hmm. and, which happens a lot of times to women in leadership. We'll talk about that. 
So I got on the off-ramp and having been a professor here at Florida State before, I wanted to stay in the university setting. I applied for a visiting professor position here in the School of Communication, utilizing those uh, skills and competencies that I gained while being a university administrator. And one of those jobs was being vice president of institutional advancement. And that's the fundraising arm of universities. And so you get to speak, <laughs> write speeches for uh, the university president and um, communicate. I oversaw the division of communication. Mm -hmm. So it's a perfect fit. And, but I thought it was just gonna be a couple of years, but guess what happened? I got back in and that bug bit me. Again, <laughs> first love, which was that classroom, there's something just magical that happens when you connect with students and when students get it and then you learn from the students. So here we are, what, five years later, and I have not gotten off this exit back on that highway to the university presidency because I enjoy the classroom. Um, as you can tell from my interactions with you all in your class. I mean, um, it's it's so rewarding. So I'm still here. I love my students. Um, I've learned so much from them. And, you know, in my next life, I want to come back though as a generation zero. Because <laughs> y'all have a name. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I will say to, to what you were saying about getting on that off-ramp to um, being the president and stuff. I, I bet at the time um, that must have been a very hard decision to have to make weighing, you know, what the priority really is in your life of family or um, your career and stuff. But like you're saying, I mean, you're this kind of the success story out of that. Like you're, you're a professor now here back again, and you have really enjoyed it. And you're very comfortable with what you're doing. you might even have preferred it compared to what you're doing before. So if anything, that's just proof that, I mean, everything happens really for a reason. I think that's very profound. And that's a very profound assessment of what I shared. Because in addition to that, it gave me an opportunity to start a business. Mm -hmm. I, to restart it, I started in the 90s. But I stopped when these responsibilities came up as a new wife and a new mom and all those kinds of things. And, and my husband then was uh, a new attorney. So I kind of stepped back and, and we helped build his, put things in place mm -hmm. him to be successful. So I stopped that business and then I started it back into mm -hmm. the college prep academy. And so I've taken all of those things that I learned that students need that I saw students were missing when they were applying to colleges and they were struggling with when they were in the universities. And I created a business around providing them with those competencies, including preparing them for success on the ACT and the SAT. And let me tell you, that is why in your class and in my other classes, all of my assignments are practical mm -hmm. and skills-based and focusing on competencies, on real-life competencies based on what I saw. And so to your point, I wouldn't be doing that. I wouldn't be having this successful consulting business um, helping these students mm. navigate getting into college and being successful in college and preparing for 
graduate school and all of that. So mm -hmm. I think that's an extremely profound observation that you made. And a lot of women are confronted with that decision. Yes. Like you, we're probably going to get into that a little bit more now, actually. But you had recently taught a course on women in leadership. Um, can you talk to us more um, about this experience, how it came about, your thoughts on it? You know, the way that it came about, one of the reasons that it's been hard for me to go back into administration, <laughs> mm. you, know, as a, you know, as a university leader, because first of all, that course is amazing. It was an amazing course, but Dr. Patrick Merle and I were talking about the, the needs of the department. And we were also talking about some of my experiences as a leader in, in college administration. And as a result of that, we wanted to uh, address that need of feeling as if we needed to prepare students for how to navigate gender issues in the workplace. Not just women, but women and men need to know how women are navigating leadership. In, in the workplace. And so we created this course. I created the course and I modeled it off of the curricula and the syllabi of the Harvard professor and Professor George Mason University, uh, Dr. Patricia Dayton and Dr. Julie Owen, who had been doing amazing work as professors. And so I modeled the class about around that and then put my own uh, spin on it based on my personal experiences and what I wanted, what I went through as a leader including that decision mm -hmm. uh, to get on an off-ramp. And that term came from one of the texts that we use uh, in the class because one of the persons who wrote the article said, talked about that trajectory, that, that, that point that some women you know, reach when they get to, when they're in leadership. Mm -hmm. So that class, students learn how to understand social and historical context of issues that women in leadership face. They learn about diverse women leaders and global women's leadership. Oh my gosh, that was powerful. I bet. They learned um, about those factors that influence the decisions that women make when they are approaching leadership. Mm -hmm. And they learned about the different types of leadership styles for women and men. Right. Different. different leadership styles and, and they are pointed and clear yeah. and um, patterns that women have in trying to balance the work-life dynamic, how these socially constructed notions around gender impact leadership. That sounds like such a great course and I wish that I had taken it now. Mm. Only yeah. I wasn't graduating in a month. That sounds so insightful I'm, I'm gonna send you a link please do to the blog that we did as a class so remember I told you in every class I like to do very very practical examples if, if you the students interview women leaders all around the world they interviewed them and and we created this blog and on the blog they had to there are a number of things we did. They uploaded the actual interviews. People who were heads of the medical association, women who were uh, 
Michelle Obama's chief of stuff <laughs> and, and the director of um, global of initiatives for Barack Obama and um, women who were over clothing lines, um, although amazing. Yeah. And we did a blog for that class. They wrote amazing articles. And um, so I'll share that with you. Please, that sounds so awesome. The students getting to have that kind of like hands-on experience and I don't know, kind of take the rein, like you said, like take that leadership um, into their hands a little bit and get to talk to these other very um, inspiring women as well. It's such a great like opportunity to get to to learn more in leadership, but then to also learn about, learn from these amazing, like inspiring women as well. Is this a course that is still being offered or will be? Not right now. It was a special topics course for us to get a sense of whether or not or be something that our students would be interested in. And so um, I'm sure that Dr. Merle, if there was a continued interest in that class would be open to us continuing to offer it. Yeah. Well, I don't know how much my opinion matters on it, but <laughs> I think it should still be a class because that sounds really wonderful. Well, speaking of influential and powerful women I don't know about Andy but my entire childhood was based on like jump in and rags everything that had to do with Kiki Palmer and I think a really exciting opportunity that came about for you was when you had the chance to interview singer and actress Kiki Palmer on her visit to FSU and we were just wondering how did you prepare for something like that what would you recommend for someone a student maybe in the school of communication that has to prepare for being in the position to interview a big name? Oh gosh. So you know what I, what I did? I wanted this interview. I started out with a particular image and vision of what I wanted to achieve in this interview. And then that dictated the approach that I took. And so one of the first things that I would rec recommend for students who get an opportunity to interview someone on a level as Kiki Palmer is to identify a vision for what you want to be the outcome of that. What is it that you want the audience to leave there with? Mm -hmm. And I want them to leave with a certain kind of insight with Ms. Palmer. I didn't want them to, I didn't want to ask her questions that for which the answer could be easily found on Google. Right. I wanted it to be insightful and I wanted to construct her from that interview uh, or have an image in the minds of the students of her um, as someone who is just like them and someone whose work could be, the level of work that she got could be attainable by them. And so that meant that I had to really humanize her in a, in a way that's accessible and tangible and touchable for each of the students. And so I studied her. I studied her um, life. I read her books. I listened to interviews of her by other persons who interviewed her got some insight into what was important to her. I saw, for example, that she grew up in the church and that her mother was singing in the church and her mother made some sacrifices for her to become who she was. And so I asked her, 
Uh, so I'm going to ask about that. What was it like to be in a church and how did that impact you as an actress? Did you find yourself um, utilizing some of those skills that you learned in a church as I did, mm -hmm. you know, as a daughter of a preacher? Mm. That influences who I am. And so I wanted to touch on that. And then I also noticed that she always referred to herself as being on the Virgo, you know. I think that's her sign. Yes, big zodiac girl. I love it. And I said, so I'm going to hone in on that, but not just talk about being a Virgo. I wanted to make her, I wanted to, I wanted the audience to hear her assessment of how her Virgo traits she felt. Uh, were significant in her success. How they, and so then I did more research by consulting my resident expert on Zodiacs, who was my oldest daughter. <laughs> and I said, tell me about Virgos, you know? And so I asked questions around that. And then I also noticed that this young lady is multifaceted. I don't know if, if, if either of you were, was at the... Um, at that interview I was not but you did send us the clip of you guys doing the improv <laughs> thing and I ate that up I loved that and what made me do that I noticed how diverse she was and how multifaceted she was in fact I introduced her as Lady Slash <laughs> and and I said because she is an actress slash producer slash writer slash, you know, I said, this girl is slashing, you know, and so she jokingly said, oh, I'm going to use that, but um, she's so multifaceted, and so I jokingly said, well, then maybe your the next title after another slash is that a professor, because you're so good, you know, yeah. and so, um, and I said, so let me give you an opportunity to see what it's like to be a professor, because she asked me, well, what does a professor do, and I told her, and then that's how that 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 video which went viral on uh, on my TikTok page, and um, that's how that came about. So I said to her, well, you know, let me give you an opportunity to become a professor. Teach me what you all do. And then I had no idea that this young lady was going to do an improv. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, she she challenged you a bit, but you held your own so well. I I was watching. I was like, dang, that you guys had very good energy together. Like I feel like you meshed very well. Absolutely, and I think it's because of the that vision that I had. I wanted to humanize, personalize her, and I wanted to tap into that person. You know, not the star, but that everyday young lady, my niece. You know, my cousin, my friend, my daughter's friend, that's who um, I, she is. And, and I think that's why that exchange came across the way you did it. Definitely, yeah. I also think, too, you know, from her thinking in her perspective, like, she has to be doing interviews and stuff all the time for, for movie promotion and stuff like that. So, it's it can be difficult sometimes I feel like to try and put a little bit of a spin on something that she's had to you know pretty much do her whole life since she started out on like Nickelodeon and stuff and <clears throat> I really like that um, you also kind of not only talked about her and her career and stuff but you kind of had her put herself in your shoes a little bit and 
that was also a really great tie to just like Florida State in general, like just us being a university and she came to come speak. So I definitely think you created a very like unique and different experience for her in interviewing and it definitely translated well for for your audience and stuff. So I loved it when I watched it. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so some people often talk about the importance of learning to say no, but you seem to have had your career guided by the power of yes. Can you explain your approach um, to this kind of like philosophy and what has made you successful in your eyes? Wow, y'all, y'all can ask some powerful questions. <laughs> and yes, ma'am. Um, well, you remember how I said at the beginning that I'm a country girl who's been to town? And yes. how that, um, it's, it's a quippy little bio, but it really encodes who I am. And it speaks to how my Southern roots have helped me navigate life. Well, um, my power of yes is actually about me saying yes to a higher being. And that informs my decisions. And so that higher being being God. Yeah. And whom I felt placed me here for a specific purpose. I am convinced of that. And that my purpose is um, not just in higher education, but to help people who aspire for that to get there, which is why I kept going, which is why the business is so fulfilling for me right now, because I get to not only communicate with college students on a daily basis, but I get to help families who have aspirations and dreams for their children to go to college and how to get ready for that. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so my power of yes comes from me um, identifying with and accepting and knowing what my purpose is in life. And so I say yes then to opportunities that I feel are in keeping with or are aligned with my purpose. And that's why I said yes to you about talking to you all today because one of my purposes and visions is to, is to help students while they are in college navigate that process in order to become very good and productive citizens mm -hmm. when they get out there in their careers. And knowing that, this is something that could help you all develop your interviewing skills, your speaking skills, your writing skills, your skills as producers. Yes, I'll do that. I will help you all attain the additional knowledge and skill sets that you need in order to advance. So I say yes to opportunities that are in keeping with and are aligned with my personal um, vision of myself as someone who is complying with God's meaning for why I'm here. Mm -hmm. That's um, beautiful. Well, to end on a lighter note, de-escalate, very profound. We <laughs> want to do sort of a lightning, lightning round questions. No, 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 no improv, but it's just going to be fun facts about yourself. You'll know all the answers. You have the cheat sheet. But we just want your, our listeners to get to know you better and feel closer to you. Okay. So what do you like to do in your free time? Line dancing. 
You do? Oh, that country girl at heart. <laughs> I love to line dance. Wow. I do too, honestly. Yeah, you had the same face. It was an immediate. <laughs> wow. That is a crazy hobby. <laughs> I love it. You'd be surprised. I mean, I've taken um, line dancing classes. I um, I went to go visit some friends um, a few months ago. And I was supposed to leave on Monday. But she had a line dance class the next morning at mm-hmm. 9 o'clock. I said, I'm leaving after your line dance. So I stayed a whole extra day so that I can go to her line dancing class. No um, a lot of people don't know that either. They know that I like to dance. So, you know, on my TikTok, I put a couple little, uh, I, which is like, a, yeah, I put a couple videos of me line dancing. <gasps> Please tell me you have like a designated pair of cowgirl boots or something. I don't. So, but, I, but look, Andy, I went to... Texas uh, a few weeks ago and the moment I got off that plane and I started walking I was in uh, Fort Worth mm. and I said I gotta get me some boots and a hat yes <laughs> yeah I just recently actually tangent but <laughs> I went to Nashville with a friend a few months ago um, I also, I'm not a big, I can't dance really per se, but I like to dance. My family is like, I'm like that too. I'm not a good dancer, but I, yeah. I get out there and try. Yeah. You know how to boogie, you know? And, um, my, my parents are big, big music heads. And like, so I just, I love to just dance all the time. And, um, I will say country is not my most preferred music type, but, Line dancing is just such a fun experience to have. Like everyone's doing the same choreographed dance. And like, all I want to do is like get a part of it. Even if I don't even know the moves, like I'm going to st- get go down into the into the little like uh, dance floor there and like try and copy the moves if I can. It's so fun. And that's what it's about. Okay, so I do the country line dancing. I do the R&B, the hip hop, whatever the current dance is. And it's really what I love about it is it's the communal um, aspect of it. We are all on that floor collectively enjoying ourselves, but my most enjoyable moment of line dancing is the moment right at the end of the song when everyone looks around and they just applaud. Like, yes, who's that? There's something about that collective applause, you know, that we have um, just enjoyed each other and learned something and did something really fun collectively is that is one of my favorite moments and that's why I love uh, line dancing because I'm a communal person so do you have a favorite book I do it's a book by a 19th century black woman writer named Pauline Hopkins and it's called Contending Forces it is a book that is just profound powerful it sounds it is Hmm. What's one movie that you think everyone should watch at least once? <laughs> All of my friends are gonna would say would know that I'm gonna say this movie, which is The Color Purple by, by Alice Walker, who also wrote another one of my favorite books. But everyone should look at The Color Purple. I am actually a very big movie buff, and I have not heard of that movie, so I'm gonna add that to my list of yeah. And when you do, we need to talk about it. 
Yes, absolutely. I'll get you in class and I'll tell you, I will talk about it for sure. Um, okay. And then final question. Um, what was your first concert? Dougie Fresh. You all don't know Dougie Fresh. Oh my gosh. Dougie <laughs> Fresh and Ready for the World. Those were two. Um, Ready for the World was this new hot group, you know, in the 80s and Dougie Fresh was this artist um, who, was, who was out at the time. And I was able to go to their concert and I just thought that I had gone to concert heaven. And, and a full circle moment was a few years ago when one of my mentees got married. I went to their, I went to their wedding and um, who is one of the performers at her wedding? Then Dougie Fresh. So those of us who were from that generation just went crazy. <laughs> that is so awesome. And I have a patient with him. And I was just like, I reverted to 1986 when I was in high school. I became a teenager. I was just like, the I'm sitting up here Google, Google eye over, <laughs> over this person, you know, but I did. It's my first concert. Oh, well, that's wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. Haywood, for agreeing to be on our podcast. I felt personally felt like this was a very insightful and wonderful talk in general thank yeah. you thank you so much dr Heward. it was a pleasure thank you all so much um, for the invitation and um i want to say to you all that i just i really admire what you all are doing uh, with the podcast and just based on our interactions and some of your following uh, follow-up um, insights on some of the things we talked about here. I'm feeling pretty good about our future in this Y'all <laughs> are going to be some good leaders. And I think that my social security is, <laughs> is, is going to be okay. And you all are going to be out there and working. So I wish you Thank you so Honor. much. You're welcome. Thank yeah. you. Thank you so much. Have a good rest of your day. Yes, take care.